Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. And welcome to the Muni Lowdown. We are continuing our podcast with a series of special guests that we call State of Play. We're speaking to Muni Alice, and we have one of the best known out there, Tom Kozik, Head of Strategy and Credit at Hilltop Securities. Tom, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me today. There's a lot going on and there's a lot to talk about. I'm looking forward to it. Tom is a fixed income strategist and credit analyst. He focuses on state and local government and other municipal bond market sectors such as higher ed, nonprofit healthcare, transportation, and housing. He also taught a graduate level public finance course at the University of Pennsylvania. Before joining Hilltop, Tom worked as a mini bond analyst and public finance investment banker at PNC Capital Markets, UBS, Bear Stearns, and Janney. So Tom, let's get it right into it. Right. As of this moment, all eyes are focused on Washington right now. We've got several deadlines looming this month. First is on Friday, December 11th, which is the deadline for federal government funding. Looks like they might extend it for another week. Yeah, so it sounds as though, based on the uh, negotiations that were going on over the weekend and at the beginning of this week, uh, that uh, Congress is going to vote and approve a, a week-long extension to take that to the 18th. That is going to potentially give them a little more time to focus on not only the, the details of, of uh, I think, because even where, where the budget's concerned, I think at most we were expecting that that was likely going to get punted to the second or third month of next year. But I think that what they're trying to do is give, give themselves some time to potentially talk about a, another phase of COVID relief, although it seems as though that might not quite have the legs that people were hoping. Right. Moving on to the stimulus package. Last week, there was a bipartisan effort to have another package enacted. But the sticking point seems to be, as always, the aid to state and local governments. Where do we stand right now? I think as of this moment, Mitch McConnell still wants to have his version of it, but, and also I'm gonna talk about um, the impact of states and local governments in, in a few minutes, but where do we stand with that current, the state of uh, the, the, the stimulus package as of right now? Yeah, as of right now, I think that there still is some hope. Uh, that being said, there are also some significant policy differences as you were just alluding to. Uh, and the two biggest roadblocks remain, uh, first of all, aid for state and local governments. And then the other you know, considerable roadblock is the liability insurance. And so these are things that going back to the summer have not been able to, the lawmakers have not been able to find a compromise on. And so you know, I guess I kind of start at the top. The first roadblock has been the overall number, whether it was going to be the, the two plus trillion uh, that the uh, Democrats were pushing for right. uh, and approved, you know, voted for and approved. One of the things that people need to make sure that they remember is that the Senate hasn't approved anything. And the White House has, uh, has come out in, in certain situations and said that they would approve of different packages but the Senate hasn't actually voted on and approved anything yet. So that's, I think that is something that 
folks need to keep in mind with regard to how realistic it is to expect that something on another round of just general aid is likely to happen uh, because it's going to be very important for state and local government credit to not only get that larger economic aid, but also specific targeted relief for that could be used by state and local governments and school districts and other public finance entities for budgetary purposes. I think that, again, I mentioned that there's hope, but there are some pretty big policy differences that uh, that remain. That's right. And again, like you mentioned, that's a good point. The Senate has not actually voted on it. So let's move on in terms of deadlines. Let's talk about the the Fed's municipal liquidity facility, the MLF. Mm-hmm. From the onset, well, until now, only two issuers took took uh, part partook of it. Now, is it possible that the deadline could be uh, extended? Because right now, the deadline is for the uh, end of this year. It seems as though, based on what it is that that Treasury has said and what Treasury's opinion is, is that it's not likely that it's going to be. It seems as though that that is not likely to happen. Uh, Every indication that I've kind of heard and or read is that they are going to stick to their guns. I think that that's a, I think that's a mistake. I think that, you know, you, you mentioned one of the criticisms of the municipal liquidity facility is that it has not been uh, heavily used. And my response to that is, that was by design. The municipal liquidity facility was supposed to be a backstop for right. a worst case market scenario, a worst case market scenario where the qualified state and local governments would not be able to uh, go to the market for any and, and get any type of liquidity. Uh, a, a situation, you know, maybe close to like what it is that we saw in the middle of March to the um, middle of April of this year, uh, that it would have been very difficult for those qualified state and local governments uh, to access the market. Uh, And so I think that it's not a fair comparison or or maybe I should say a fair analysis to say that the municipal liquidity facility is not needed because it was barely used. It was designed to be barely used. It was designed Mm -hmm. to only be used in a kind of worst case scenario. It was designed to be a backstop to help. And, and, uh, and and I know that there's all kinds of optimism now. Uh, We're at the beginning of December. There's all kinds of optimism about the vaccines and the distribution of the vaccines and Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday in a uh, conversation with Governor Cuomo said that he could foresee uh, there being uh, some sense of normalcy towards the end of the summer or the beginning of the third quarter of next year, which is which is that's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. But there's also six, seven, eight months that between now and then. Number one, this is a situation that we've never seen before. We don't you know. Could there be a hiccup? Right now, we're still probably, I would say that we're still in the beginning stages of the third wave. Is there going to be a fourth wave? You know, right. we don't know exactly how this is going to play out. And I think that for that reason, it would have been beneficial to the market to have kept the municipal liquidity facility 
um, you know, until sometime next year in order to uh, make it so that backstop would be there in, a, in case we do see that worst case scenario. Right. And, and you were, uh, mentioned in the report that you advocated for the extension of the MLF. But you right. also piqued my interest with the vaccine question, which I'm going to come back to later. But let's move forward sure. a little bit and look ahead to January uh, with the uh, president-elect Joe Biden. It's a two-pronged question. Mm -hmm. One is, what do you think of it? Uh, how do you think his administration will be toward munis? And what do you think about his selection of Janet Yellen, the former uh, Fed chair, as a new treasury secretary? How is that going to impact public finance? I think a lot of it, if not most of it, uh, is going to be decided on January 5th after those right. runoff elections in Georgia. Uh, right. That, to me, there is still the potential for it doesn't seem like it, but the, there's the potential for there to be the, 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 the same impact that we would have expected from a quote unquote blue wave. I mean, it doesn't seem as though it's as much a blue wave now. But if the Democrats mm -hmm. are able to pick up those two Senate seats in Georgia, mm -hmm. then they're effectively going to control Congress. And right. in that kind of a situation, well, first of all, one of the things that I will do is I will revise my issuance forecast and it will be higher because I would imagine that what will end up happening is that there will be uh, COVID relief uh, and COVID relief probably more uh, along the lines of that, you know, two plus trillion, if not more. That the, that the Democrats have been talking about. It might even, you know, get to the point where it's three trillion, and there's going to be that. There's going and 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 that is likely to happen, you know, very quickly. That would, you know, kind of along the lines of when that 2009 Recovery Act was put together and passed in uh, February of 2009, just after President Obama took office. I think that something like this could come to form and be passed very quickly. Uh, also, something infrastructure related could al could also happen very quickly. That's something that uh, the Democrats uh, kind of showed their hand when they pat when the House passed the Moving Forward Act uh, over the summer. Uh, they gave folks an example, some some example of what it is that they like to see in an infrastructure package, and that could be very municipal friendly as well. There could be things that. You know, maybe advance. You know, it's possible that uh, advance refundings can be done with taxes and bonds. It, it's very, very well possible that other muni-friendly elements. You know, an, another muni-friendly element would be potentially a, a another taxable Build America bond or BAB-like program could uh, resurface again. Uh, and so, I think that it's very possible that if the Democrats take the Senate, there could be some very municipal friendly elements that could uh, and, and those things that could uh, surface and that wouldn't even be in 2021. I would see those things in developing in the first quarter, if not just the first couple of months of 2021. Uh, if that doesn't happen, uh, if the Democrats don't take the Senate, I think that we're going to see a lot of what it is that we've seen over the last, call it six, seven months. There's going to be a lot of uh, I don't want to say it's just going to be, it's just going to result in gridlock because it's going to, that landscape is going to give the opportunity for lawmakers to compromise. It's going to, you know, I think that at that point, you know, even right now, 
I think it's very difficult for lawmakers on both sides to say to themselves, well, why is it that we want to give in? Why should we give in now if in two or three weeks we very well might have to, we might not have to give in at all. We might be able to get, if we just wait, we might be able to get everything that we want. Uh, now that could have some impact to some of those individuals who are unemployed and to the economy and to some state local governments in the short term for sure. Um, but from a political strategy, that very well could be what some are doing. Um, that being said, there are risks to, to that. Uh, but if the Democrats don't take the Senate, there could be, on the one hand, an opportunity for them to come to some kind of compromise. On the other hand, that could be an opportunity for gridlock as well. Well, that's very interesting, Tom. You sort of, uh, as you were talking, you gave me some ideas for questions and one you've already answered, which is great. Like you said, mm -hmm. if you could see, you, you mentioned that there could be a revival of BABs, Build America Bonds. So that's interesting. And also you said that if you're going to revisit uh, issuance, because I know I read your uh, report on issuance that you're, you're, you forecasted possibly less issu issuance in 2021, but you're saying mm -hmm. could, you're, going to you're going to come revisit that on January 5th, correct? Well, I'm going, I'll have, if the Democrats take the Senate, Mm -hmm. uh, I will not be as bearish overall issuance for 2021. So my issuance forecast of 375 billion for 2021, you know, there are two key reasons why that issuance forecast is not only lower than what it is that we've seen this this year, but what is it we've seen for several years. The two reasons is that I think that first of all, there's been some, you know, some issuance that's probably been accelerated into this year. Not a ton, uh, but there has, I'm, I'm guessing that there has been some issuance that has been accelerated into this year. But mm -hmm. the real significant reason, the real uh, driver of why it is that I think issuance is gonna be relatively low next year, is I think that state and local governments are gonna be looking around and it's going to be a very similar situation to what it is that we saw after the Great Recession uh, in that they're going to look around and they're going to say, you know, we're not in a financial position to be able to add additional uh, debt service to our balance sheet. They're going to look around and they're going to say, we just, we don't have room in our budgets. I mean, even right now, there are still forecasts of state and local governments uh, revenues being uh, anywhere from five to you know twenty plus percent less, and in an environment like that, they're going to be looking to make more cuts. They're not going to be looking to add uh, more liabilities to their balance sheet in general. I mean, they're they're going to sell. They are going to sell some debt, but I think that in an environment like that, they are not going to be uh, you know selling selling a significant amount of debt or selling debt that's going to be record breaking. And we saw a very similar dynamic after the Great Recession. Uh, we saw that after uh, 2010, so in 2009, 2010, uh, there was a significant amount of issuance. 2010 uh, saw the expiration of that Build America bond program. And then in 2011, 2012, while there was uh, some question about issuance that was kind of described as pent-up demand or issuance that was put on hold during the beginning of the recession. And also people were saying that there are all kinds of infrastructure needs and that state and local governments and other entities were going to be 
they need to sell debt. I mean, I, rem- I remember I was one of the individuals uh, even then that was forecasting that there was going to be lower issuance than what it is that we uh, eventually got. And if you look at the data, you can see that issuance in 2011, 2012, and especially new money issuance, uh, refunding right. issuance was actually probably a little higher than what it is that many expected. Uh, mm-hmm. But new money issuance really fell off a cliff and took several years to recover. So that is really what it is that makes up my forecast. That theme is that I'm expecting that there's still going to be a decent amount of refunding issuance uh, for 2021, but I'm expecting that new money issuance is, is going to be lower. And I think that that's going to be something that will continue. Now, that new money issue for, for, and will continue for years, not just for 2021. That being said, uh, if there is some kind of targeted, meaningful amount of money that flows to state and local governments with regard to aid, then I think that we uh, could see uh, some additional issuance. And, you know, what that number ends up looking like, I think it depends on a combination of the aid. It depends on, you know, if there is some kind of Build America bond or BAB-like program, you know, how utilized that could be uh, by state and local governments and other issuers. You know, but assuming that we, assuming we see some kind of meaningful COVID relief, assuming that we see some kind of meaningful uh infrastructure-related relief and stimulus, you know, I definitely think that issuance could be higher. And so I will will absolutely revisit that after January 5th uh, if there is a situation that warrants it. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to that, Tom. (laughs) Yeah, please. Oh, yeah. Hey, that that is absolutely the first thing that I'm going to do for sure because, you know, that my number will absolutely be a meaningful number. It won't just be $375 All right. Now, I've I've read some of your reports and another report, like you you were alluding to the Great um, Recession and you talked about issuance back then, but you also had a report about a wave of downgrades. And I know, I think there are parallels to that time back then. Do you still see that happening in 2021 as well? Let's talk about bankruptcies and, and downgrades. Yeah, so I think that those are two very different situations a uh a, you know if you're talking about potential bankruptcies and defaults versus downgrades you know one of the things that i've been telling people uh, about bankruptcies uh, is that a, a bankruptcy doesn't fix the situation that state and local governments are in right now and one of the big reasons for that is because what a bankruptcy all a, a bankruptcy really has to has the power to do is to reorganize liabilities what it is that, and in most cases, the, li- the kind of the, the debt liabilities, whether it be bonds or pensions for most state and local governments, while there are a small number of state and local governments where those liabilities are a, you know, coming at numbers that are closer to kind of like 30 or 40 percent, uh, most state and local governments, their liabilities are 10, maybe 20 percent. So even if you would reorganize those liabilities, mm-hmm. uh, you're really not going to be able to solve the situation that it is that they're dealing with right now. Uh, and so, and we can talk about this, uh, you know, you know, we can talk about what it is that state local governments are doing to solve that, uh, because one of the one of the big things that they're 
they have been doing for the past couple of months. And one of the things that they're going to continue to do if they don't get relief is they're going to continue to cut, uh, they're going to cut their liabilities. And what I mean by that is not, I'm not saying that they're going to cut bond debt service or cut pension payments. The liabilities that they do have the ability to uh, shed uh, in most cases is employment. And that's one of the things that I've also written a, a lot about, especially over the last couple of days, because uh, when we saw that non-farm payroll number come out last week, that was, if I remember correctly, the, the third consecutive month where state and local governments have shed jobs, whereas the overall economy, um, you, know, you know, wasn't, is, is, you know, they might not be um, gaining steam, the overall economy, but st the state and local governments have been shedding jobs. And I expect that that dynamic to continue, if not worsen in magnitude, if there isn't relief. So let me all then address the topic of the downgrades, because that's definitely important. Mm -hmm. And as she, and as you mentioned, you know, I wrote about that back at the end of the summer. Uh, and I think that one of the things that people have been asking and wondering about is why it is that you know, public finance entities and or the rating agencies and or state and local governments haven't been more affected or affected and are reporting results the way that maybe like the restaurant industry or uh, the airline industry is. And the answer to that is because the kind of the revenue results come in a little slower number one. Number two, there's kind of a cascading effect that starts at the federal government level and state government level and then kind of flows down to the local governments and other entities that kind of make up that superstructure of, of municipal credit. So, for example, if a state government in this budget cycle has a uh, – has the a situation that they've got to deal with where their revenues are coming in 20% less, which is a, is a significant amount, 20% less than the year before. Mm -hmm. You know, there are several ways there are, you know, one of the things that we say is that municipal credit is very resilient and municipal credit is very resilient. And the, there are several strategies that that state government will use to deal with that revenue shortfall. Uh, part of it could be they might lay people off part, you know, there could be uh, part of it might be that they reduce other services. One of the things that they're going to do at that state government level, most likely, is they're going to reduce the amount of state aid that they give to different types of entities. And one of the things that could impact local governments in that state is if state aid uh, for local governments or school districts is reduced. Now, that magnifies the impact that that local government is having to deal with because the local government in that state is probably also dealing with lower uh, a combination of tax and other revenues. And so right. then they've, they've got to forecast different situations about not only what tax revenue is going to look like, but they've got to look at different situations where um, state aid is going to be a little lower. And, and again, my point is, is that I mean, it takes a couple of minutes just to talk about it, much less for it to play out. This doesn't play out in just a matter of weeks or a matter of months. It plays out over uh, kind of mid mid year budgets, you know, mid year budget cycle updates and budget cycles, uh, you know, that kind of go over a, a year or two period of time. And so, this is one of the reasons why, if you look at 
when it is that downgrades started to outpace upgrades in the wake of the Great Recession, it that didn't happen uh, for years. I mean, mm-hmm. the, or I should say the peak didn't happen for years. The downgrades started to outpace upgrades almost immediately, but that peak didn't start uh, didn't happen for years. And right. while I think that we might see a peak happen a little quicker this time, just because of how just because of the magnitude of what it is that's happened over such a slow period of time, I think that it is not a overestimation to say that, you know, not only will those downgrades peak, you know, quicker this time, uh, but it is very likely that downgrades continue to outpace upgrades for years, because that's one of the things that's ha- that happened, uh, you know, 10 years ago after the Great Recession. It is very likely that that's going to be what it is that's going to happen this time. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely prefaced the, the next this next situation where, like you said, some things they can't really cut the pensions and things like that, but employment is is a factor. And so right now, do you think, right, I'm talking about the damage done right now to St. Louis government, do you think some are irreversible that states and local governments, there's a hold because of the pandemic that can, they can never get out of? I think that state and local governments I, I don't think that we've seen the worst of the financial situation that state and local governments are going to have to deal with. I think that state and local governments are, you know, as we speak, reviewing kind of their mid-year revenue levels, comparing it to the projections that they were expecting over the summer. Uh, there could be some budget adjustments over the next kind of month or two. Uh, and then towards the end of the spring when they when you know state and local governments really start to assess the full year magnitude of what it is that they saw number one uh, in the, the past year and make adjustments to make up for any uh, number any any numbers that they saw then and then when they finally look at what is a realistic expectation for next year, I think that that is going to be a real starting point of what the potential impact is going to be for state and local government credit. Because just because there are vaccines, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, that are likely to be distributed and, you know, from, you know, from Dr. Fauci's perspective, we, start, we might start looking a little better towards the end of the summer, the first quarter of next year with regard to the distribution of vaccines, that doesn't necessarily mean that the employment data, you know, regionally or nationally is going to shoot right back. It doesn't necessarily mean that business travel and personal travel is going to shoot right back. I remember the vehicle miles traveled numbers uh, and the employment numbers. Uh, It took years for those numbers to recover after 9-11 and after the Great Recession. So it is it is not something that is just going to, even after next summer, revert right back to a pre-March of 2020 level. Mm-hmm. These are things that this is going to, these are going to be scenarios that nationally is going to differ. I mean, there are going to be some budget situations, budget situations in California and New York are going to be different than 
states that aren't quite as populated. And same with, you know, cities and other local governments. I mean, there are going to be some cities and other local governments that are going to be impacted at a magnitude that is much higher uh, because the, so, the, the combination of social distancing and lockdowns are, go, are you know, more, are more severe in some areas versus others. And so there's really going to be a difference of the impact to credit. While most credits are going to be impacted in some way, shape, or form to a negative degree, you know, the, again, the magnitude of that negative degree is really going to be different nationwide. But that, that period is really not going to be kind of able to be fully assessed, I think, until kind of spring or summer of uh, next year. And again, I'm going to reiterate the fact that that is something that could very well last for years. It's not going to bounce back immediately. Right, right. And it's very fast that we could talk all day, but I'm just going to sort of wrap it up with just a few more questions, Tom, if you don't mind. And I'm going to yeah. step away, uh, away from the credits. I want to ask you, instead of credits, tell me, give me sort of a broadscape in terms of any particular sectors that you think it might be in trouble. You were sort of alluding to uh, infra infrastructure, transportation, obviously hospitality travel is down big time over this year. Is that like a sector in trouble or do you see anything else that could be possibly uh, affected more so than others? Yeah, I think that from a, from a very broad perspective, I think that this is a scenario that the, those entities, almost across all sectors, you know, of those entities that did a good job of preparing, you know, a combination of rainy day funds or uh, resources for a, you know, unforeseen situation. I mean, this is, this is a, a perfect example of one of those unforeseen scenarios that the entities that were more conservative uh, are going to from a credit perspective anyway, do better, meaning they're not going to most likely see their credits uh, either downgraded at the level as others in the same sector uh, to the degree of some or even downgraded at all. I mean, there are going to be some entities that are from a credit perspective that are not going to get downgraded because uh, there, are, there are plenty of entities that were either sucking money away or we're not overly aggressive and or we're not overly leveraging themselves. So uh, this is a situation where, you know, even going back to uh, March and April when I was talking to investors, uh, you know, almost no matter how bad things got, there were, there were plenty of credits that when I was helping investors sift through what it is that was happening, you know, I was able to say to them, um, that there were absolutely some that, you know, over the years had differentiated themselves and from a credit perspective. But there certainly are uh, some sectors that I think are going to, uh, where it's going to take a little longer for them to come back. Uh, you know, one of the first higher education. Now, higher education was having uh, issues even before this. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I had assigned a negative outlook to the higher education sector well before uh, the, co the COVID stress. Uh, and you know, now higher education is having to deal you know, on a, you know, much quicker with some of those stresses that they were uh, trying to face before COVID. Uh, the transportation sectors, uh, for sure. I just mentioned that it took years 
you know, after 9-11 and after the Great Recession for thing, for metrics like the vehicle miles traveled or the employments to come back uh, and then rise. Now, one of the things that we saw in, in the uh, airport sector, though, is that uh, there were lots of individual airports that did a really good job because they were experiencing a significant amount of, of positive activity before COVID. And there were plenty of airports that uh, socked money away and uh, put themselves in a, a, a good positive uh, credit situation. Uh, but uh, it's going to take some time uh, for certain transportation sectors uh, to come back just because it's most likely that, you know, ac activity is not going to recover immediately to those pre-March uh, 2020 levels. Right. All right, Tom. I'm going to finish it off with one last question. With the vaccine timeline developing faster than anticipated, would that change any thoughts for you in 2021? Could this massive amount of vaccine distribution impact state budgets as well? So it seems to me that what we're seeing is if we, if I think about what it is that the medical professionals were laying out the scenarios that the medical professionals were laying out towards the beginning of the summer about what the vaccine manufacture and distribution scenarios could look like. It seems like we are probably close to their most aggressive or optimistic case. The most aggressive or optimistic case was one by which there were vaccines that vaccines, right? Multiple vaccines that were going to be completed by the end of the year, by 2020. And then they could be manufactured in a matter of months and distributed in a matter of months, right? And so that seems to be, that optimistic case seems to be what it is that we are, the track that we're on right now. And that's why Dr. Fauci said that we might be in a situation by the end of the summer or uh, the beginning of the third quarter uh, to really see a significant amount of distribution of the vaccines, which is great. Um, that being said, as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't necessarily mean that overall activity between December of 2020 and the beginning of the third quarter of 2021, uh, you know, there could be some variability. There could be some surprises. There could, you know, right now we're in that third wave. Uh, we're being told by medical professionals that, you know, a combination of December, January, and February from a health perspective could be the worst that we've seen. Uh, we, you know, we're not through this yet. And, you know, we are just seeing the beginning stage, the beginning part of another uh, stage of uh, lockdowns and or um, efforts that are going to most likely end up with less economic activity uh, maybe not nationally, but I mean, we're already seeing that happen in Texas, in New York, and in California. So we don't quite know what that's going to look like uh, and or how bad the economic activity is going to drop. So I think that, you know, as I was just mentioning, I, through the beginning of the spring and through the summer, hopefully then states are going to be able to say to themselves, okay, what it is that we saw in fiscal 21 was hopefully the worst of it. Maybe we're expecting fiscal 22 to be a little less than 20, but maybe not as bad as 21. 
that's probably that's my optimistic scenario because uh, that follows that optimistic kind of vaccine manufacturing and distribution scenario. Uh, that could be uh, that scenario could be strengthened a little bit with some federal aid and some aid that could flow specifically to state and local governments. Uh, but you know there are still some significant answers that need to be an- that need to be some significant questions that need answered with regard to you know. Is that optimistic timeline what what it is that we're going to see next year, and are we going to end up seeing something coming out of the federal government so uh you know those still are the two big questions that I think uh municipal investors are you know asking themselves and are looking for answers about Tom, thank you so much for your time today and your thoughts um like you said, hopefully positive news uh going into twenty twenty one uh, we look forward to a vaccine uh, and your thoughts. I'm going to hold you to it to January 6th, the day after the runoff in Georgia. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. And that is our show for today. Many thanks to Tom Koslick of Hilltop Securities and Kristen Ayala, our producer, who makes us sound good week after week. And as always, thanks to your listeners out there in Miniland who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed muni debt on the Mini Lowdown, produced by Delaware Municipals. Take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.